Christians. Morning service of worship by the reading of the scriptures of truth and the shortest of the Psalms. The Psalm 117. Well, praise the Lord, all ye nations. Praise him, all ye people. Let his merciful kindness is great toward us, and the truth of the Lord endureth forever. Praise ye the Lord. I'm now going to call upon the clerk of session, our brother Stephen McLean, to come and address us. Well, good morning, everyone. On Saturday, the 10th of September, at a specially convened Zoom meeting of the General Presbytery of our denomination, the following statement regarding the passing of Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth II was accepted by the members. It was also the mind of the Presbytery that this statement should be read from our pulpits on this Lord's Day, the 11th of September. It was also decided by Presbytery that after the reading of this statement, our congregation should stand for a minute's silence, followed by a brief word of prayer. The statement follows. It was with the deepest sadness on Thursday evening, the 8th of September, 2022, that the ministers and ruling elders and members of the Free Presbyterian Church of Ulster learned of the death of Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth II. As a church, we lament the passing of a monarch who ruled for over 70 years with dignity, wisdom, and diligence. We thank God for her exemplary, personal, public conduct as a monarch and for the stability that she brought to our nation over the seven decades of her illustrious reign. As a denomination, we express to the royal household our sincerest sympathy. Scripture in 1 Timothy chapter 2 commands the Christian church to pray for kings and for all that are in authority. Therefore, we will be interceding for Her Majesty's family, praying that the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort will impart to their hearts the true consolation of the grace of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. At her coronation service on the 2nd of June, 1953, the moderator of the General Assembly of the Church of Scotland presented the new queen with a copy of the scriptures and said, quote, Our gracious queen, to keep your majesty ever mindful of the law and the gospel of God as the rule for the whole life and government of Christian princes, we present you with this book, the most valuable thing that this world affords, unquote. It is still the Holy Bible that carries the infallible message of God for the royal family, our nation, and the entire commonwealth. True comfort in life and in death is found in Christ Jesus alone. The gospel declares, for God so loved the world, that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. 
the congregation please stand to observe a minute's silence, please. Our gracious God and our loving Father, we do come before thee with that acknowledgement that thou indeed art the King of the nations, the great God of heaven and earth. We acknowledge, O God, thy sovereign providence over all things. Come, O God, with praise and thanksgiving for thy merciful kindness to us as a nation, for our laws and our liberties, for thy gracious blessing in this nation. We might very well say from the signing of the Magna Carta, What a mercy, the reformation that gave us our English Bible. What a mercy, the glorious revelation, revolution that enshrined our laws and liberties. And O God, we come now to thank Thee for the long reign of Queen Elizabeth II for her unswerving devotion to the vows that she took before God, for her faithful, selfless, sacrificial service to our nation, for her strength and stability as the cornerstone of our constitutional monarchy and our parliamentary democracy. We give thee thanks for thy gracious hand upon her over those many, many decades. Surely like the psalmist, Her reign was a merciful kindness of God to us, a people. We as a nation mourn her passing. 
But we do remember the royal family. They would mourn the loss of a mother today, a grandmother, a great grandmother. Therefore, God, we beseech thee, the God of all comfort, to graciously presence thyself, to minister to their hearts, to grant thy help. Our God and our Father, we remember our nation. And in these solemn, sad days, we must confess, alas, our nation is so grievously departed from God and its truth. And we plead in wrath, remember mercy at this hour. Oh, for that great spiritual awakening. That, oh God, that thou wouldst come to the help of thy church. That thou wouldst visit us with an outpouring of the Holy Spirit from on high. That we would see the evidence of God in mercy. Working in gracious power. We remember our King today. Thou hast charged us to pray for the King as for all in authority. We remember our King today. We do thank thee, O God, for that personal, powerful gospel testimony brought to him years ago. By a faithful child of God. We ask, O God, at this very sad time, that thou wouldst draw near graciously to him. It is our earnest desire and prayer to God that thou wouldst bring our King to a saving knowledge of Christ. Yea, move and work in all of the family. And so, our Father, remember us today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I have chosen the hymn number 756 this morning because of the solemnity and sadness of this time. It really is a hymn of prayer, a hymn of intercession, a hymn of confession, a hymn that expresses that longing to see God moving in matchless power. Great King of nations, hear our prayer while at thy feet we fall and humbly with united cry to thee for mercy call. Seven, five, six, and we will be standing to worship. Let's sing it earnestly, please.
Well, we'll bow together afresh in prayer to commit our service to the Lord. Let us all pray. Our gracious God and our loving Father, we come afresh into thy holy and sacred presence, seeking again to be conscious that thou and thou alone art God. What a mercy that we do not bow before stock or stone today. We seek the face of him who is the true and the living God, infinite in his majesty and glorious in his holiness. Therefore, O God, we confess our utter dependence upon the mediation of thy divine and incarnate Son. We rejoice in him, the one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus the great kinsman, redeemer of his people, in all of the mystery and miracle of that divine incarnation, bone of our bone and flesh of our flesh, touched with all of the feelings of our infirmities. And yet we can say, who is this in yonder stall at whose feet the shepherds fall? Tis the Lord, O wondrous story, tis the Lord, the King of glory. Our God and our Father, as we have been singing, we confess again that we ever stand in need of the daily pardon of sin and the cleansing of Jesus' blood. We seek, O God, for acceptance only in him, acceptance in the beloved. And so we stand upon his merit, for we know no safer stand, not e'en where glory dwelleth in Emmanuel's land. We ask, O God, that thou which come and bless us this hour while we wait on thee. Grant, O God, that even to the youngest boy or girl there may be a conscious sense of thy divine presence. Graciously and effectually move among us by the ministry of thy divine spirit. And, O God, again we simply pray that thou wouldst honor and own the preaching of thy truth that it would bless the saints, lead them into green pastures, spread the table, bring them into the banqueting house, lift up our eyes for our redemption draweth nigh. But, O oh God, for any in this service out of Christ, perhaps some who have sat so long, they have been the subject of so much fervent praying, We ask, O Father, that Thou would speak in such power to their hearts today that they would cry out like one of old, What must I do to be saved? That they would have a saving look to the Lamb of Calvary. That they would be able to go home rejoicing in the One who is now their God and Savior. Crown our service this morning with Thy salvation. Remember the needs of the congregation. Remember those, O God, that know the infirmity of their many years. Perhaps they're shut in at their own fireside today or in the nursing home. Minister to them. Any that are sick and laid aside, perhaps in the hospital bed today. 
We pray for them that they would know the touch of the Master's hand that has lost none of its ancient power. Raise them up in thy will. Remember, O God and Father, all of our congregations today, all of the work of God in every place, the labors of every minister, missionary, and evangelist at home and abroad. Bless their labors richly today. Where there is discouragement, encourage. Where there are those that are cast down, lift them up. Where there are those deeply longing to see the Lord answer prayer, answer prayer today. We remember our United Kingdom. We ask, O God, for every faithful ministry across these islands. We thank Thee, O God, for every group of believers. We know there are many who meet, and they have no minister, no pastor. O God, wilt Thou visit us again? Remember our nation. Remember Scotland today, the land of John Knox, England, the land of the English Reformation, the martyrs, that gave us the treasure of this book, the principality of Wales, whose hills and valleys once resounded, O God, with the song of revival. Our province that has been so peculiarly favored of heaven. Visit us again. Remember, O oh God, this morning every special evangelistic effort, every gospel mission. Answer the prayers of your people. Save many. And so our God shut us in with thyself today and undertake in all things. We pray this in the Savior's precious and all-prevailing name. Amen. Amen. Luke's Gospel, the chapter 9, please. We're going to read what is one of the most fascinating passages of Scripture, one of the most interesting and instructive of the sacred histories recorded for us in the Gospels. It's Luke's Gospel in the chapter 9, and we're going to read there in the verse 28. And it came to pass about an eight days after these sayings, he took Peter and John and James and went up into a mountain to pray. And as he prayed, the fashion of his countenance was altered, and his raiment was white and glistering. And behold, 
there talked with him two men, which were Moses and Elias, who appeared in glory and spake of his decease, which he should accomplish at Jerusalem. But Peter and they that were with him were heavy with sleep. When they were awake, it's a little passage that poses quite a number of intriguing questions. What was it that wakened them? Was it that glory on the mount? Was it the sound of the conversation that was now taking place? And when they were awake, they saw his glory and the two men that stood with him. And it came to pass, as they departed from him, Another intriguing question. Now, what exactly does that mean? I'm not answering all these questions, but it's intriguing just to take time to think. What exactly did that mean? How did they discern and ascertain that they were now leaving? As I say, it's a fascinating passage of the Word of God, and it came to pass as they departed from him. Peter said unto Jesus, Master, it is good for us to be here, And let us make three tabernacles, one for thee and one for Moses and one for Elias. Not knowing what he said. How often that was true of Peter. There's a good study in the word of God. The unusual things, the strange things that Peter said. I often meant to do that as a series, but I never did. Ran out of time, but certainly it would make an interesting series. While he thus spake, there came a cloud and overshadowed them. They feared as they entered into the cloud. And there came a voice out of the cloud saying, This is my beloved son, hear him. And when the voice was passed, Jesus was found alone. And they kept it close and told no man in those days any of those things which they had seen. Amen. May the Lord add his divine blessing to this reading from his precious and inspired word. Now we're going to have the necessary announcements, please. Well, on behalf of the Interim Moderator Session and Committee of Coleraine Free Presbyterian Church, we want to welcome each and every one to our service this morning, especially if there's any visiting with us. We give to you a special word of welcome and also those joining us on our webcast today. We thank you for joining us. We want to welcome our preacher for today, Reverend Michael Patrick. We want to welcome him and also his wife uh, to the services today and trust they will know the blessing of God as they meet with us in this meeting today. The announcements then for the incoming week as follows. Uh, First of all, straight after this service, if the young people could stay behind the Youth Fellowship for a short choir practice, please. Then at 3 p.m. this afternoon, there is a time of prayer for the forthcoming Gospel Mission in Harpers Hill. So 3 p.m. this afternoon, time of prayer for the Gospel Mission in Harpers Hill.
And please note that the dates of the mission have been changed slightly. There will be no meeting on the Monday. That's Monday the 19th, as I'm sure you're aware. Uh, that is the bank holiday for the state funeral of Queen Elizabeth II. So there will be no meeting on the Monday night uh, in Harpers Hill. There will be some discussion this afternoon around the outreach for the mission. So if you uh, plan to help with that outreach, please do uh, come along this afternoon to the time of prayer. 6 p.m. this evening, the prayer meeting in the smaller part of the church hall, and then 6.30, the gospel service, when the Reverend Patrick will be along again to bring the word of God. And as I mentioned, then Monday through to Friday, each evening at half past six, the outreach in Harpers Hill meeting just outside the community centre. Tuesday night at eight, the prayer meeting and Bible study, and the Reverend Urban will be along on Tuesday night to bring the word. Friday night at eight, there is a, an evening of prayer, again, for the Harpers Hill Mission, and that will be in the church hall, so Friday night at 8 for that time of prayer. And then note also, Friday night at 8, the Youth Fellowship uh, will be meeting in the youth room. It was great to hear that a good number travelled over to Hillsborough on Friday night, so again, we encourage our young people uh, to come along to the Youth Fellowship uh, in this new season, and as it meets on Friday night in the youth room. The service is then next Lord's Day, 10 a.m., the Sunday school and Bible class. And please do remember the Sunday school and Bible class in your prayers. Again, it was good uh, to be back again uh, with the children and young people uh, this morning. And we trust that God will bless the word that is sown in the forthcoming season in our Sunday school and Bible class and indeed the work among our young people. The service is then at half past 11 and half past 6 when the preacher is Mr. Samuel Fitton, one of the students in the Whitfield College of the Bible. And next Lord's Day at 3 p.m., there's a further time of prayer uh, for the Harpers Hill Mission. And then just to mention again, the Whitfield College graduation and commencement service held in Ballymena on Monday the 12th at 8 p.m. The preacher is the moderator, the Reverend John Armstrong. And then just for our own congregation, just to note from next Lord's Day, uh, the offerings will be taken up, the collections will be taken up again in the traditional manner, so the plate will be uh, passed around uh, as we used to do uh, in those days before uh, COVID. Uh, so just to make you aware of that, that uh, that will be recommencing next Lord's Day. I believe those are all the announcements made subject to the will of God. We'll hand back to the Reverend Patrick. Thank you. Returning to the hymn number 313, great old gospel hymn. I do appreciate those words of welcome among you here in Coleraine. I'm glad that I am here, for I was far from well over the last 10 days or so. We are having a gospel mission at this time in Lisbon. If you'd have gone into the tent, you would have noted the strange thing. I never sang a note. I was resting the voice because of cold rain, hoping I could fulfill this engagement. I was to preach on Tuesday in our Kilkeel congregation, and I was unable to do that. I didn't have a voice, so I am glad that the Lord in mercy enables us to be here and, of course, there's a preacher sitting down there. Uh, he can always step in if things go wrong. 
do pardon me this morning if I have to reach for the glass more than usual. When I was in the college, I was given a text to preach on, and even though I did study on it, as I said to the Reverend S.B. Cook, not that he was too sympathetic, in that he kept saying, you were meant to come and preach on this. Do something with it. Well, I got up into the pulpit to try and do something with it, and I got nowhere fast. It was terrible. And my good friend and colleague in college at that time, the Reverend Ken Elliott, he'd always noted that I liked water in the pulpit. So when it came to pass a comment on my preaching, he only said one thing. Brother Michael should have had more water in the pulpit. (laughs) Well, I have more water in the pulpit this morning. I may have to make use of it, but it's a joy to be among you. We'll stand, please, as we sing this grand old gospel hymn of assurance.
us bow together and seek for heaven's help in the ministry of his word. I trust that every child of God will pray for us. We may know the help of heaven, fresh anointing of the Holy Spirit, fresh oil from the sanctuary above. We may be enabled of God to speak well of Christ and to speak to the spiritual good of precious souls. Our God and our Father, we come afresh to the divine mercy seat, rejoicing that there we do obtain mercy. We confess that we ever stand in need of divine mercy. And there's grace to help in every time of need. This is such a time of need. The book of God is open. Holy men speak as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. Oh, we earnestly pray for the ministry of him who is the divine author of this volume. Spirit of God, our teacher be, showing the things of Christ to me. And so our God and Father, breathe upon the service just now. and Grant that effectual application of thy truth that would bring blessing, encouragement, joy to the saints. Anticipation indeed of a coming glory. But for those who sit among us who are yet strangers to grace and to God, how we pray for their salvation. Bring them to the cross. Oh, that they would have a saving look to the Lamb of God. Oh, that they would know the experience of being washed in His blood, born of His Spirit, adopted into the family. So help us now. Grant a fresh cleansing now to thy servant. For what the blood has cleansed, the Spirit of God can fill and use. We simply pray, Spirit of the living God, fall afresh on me. For Jesus' sake, amen. Well, I'd like you please to open your Bible, especially the young people in the service. Turn over to the Gospel of Luke and the chapter 9. Those verses that we read together record for us an event without parallel in the earthly history of the Son of God. It's an incident wholly unlike anything else that we read of in the gospel record. I do believe the singular importance of this event is underlined not only by the fact that it is recorded by three of the evangelists, but the fact that it is recorded in great detail. It's interesting to trace in the Gospels how that even in the days of our Savior's humiliation, God the Father was pleased to honor His Son. And oh, what honor is done here on the Mount of Transfiguration to our Lord Jesus Christ. 
But we see that really, don't we, from the very beginning of his days. Yes, he was born in the most humble of circumstances. And yet, honor was done to him there with the coming of the wise men from the east bearing their regal gifts. As you read your way through the Gospels, I do believe we see that gradual manifesting of the glory of which John spoke in the opening of his Gospel. And we beheld his glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Well, when we come to this incident, this sacred history, surely we ascend the utmost heights. When we ascend that mount, where those disciples in the words of Peter became the eyewitnesses of his majesty. It is interesting and indeed I might say important to compare all of the gospel records with reference to that. If you're open there in Luke's gospel chapter 9, you'll notice in the verse 29, and as he prayed, the fashion of his countenance was altered. Matthew tells us his face did shine as the sun Again, you'll notice in the first 29, his raiment was white and glistering. Mark tells us his raiment became shining, exceeding white, so as no fuller on earth can white them. Matthew says his raiment was as white as the light. And you'll notice those words at the end of verse 29, white and glistering. It's one Greek word. It only occurs here in the word of God. It's a word that really means to flash out like lightning. What a thought that is. Those disciples, they saw the countenance and the clothing indeed of the Savior shining with celestial splendor as the inner defying glory of the Lord Jesus flowed out in visible, dazzling brightness. That's a reminder to us, as C.H. Spurgeon said, he never ceased to be God. Nor was the Godhead for a single moment separated from his humanity. In the Gospels, when we come to the record of the Savior's passion, his sufferings, we see how indeed emphasis is placed upon his face and upon his garments. They became the object of the hostility of wicked men. You remember how they stripped him of his raiment? Arraying him with a robe of scorn. Then he was hung naked to his shame upon that awful cross, and they sat there at the foot of the cross, casting lots for his vesture. 
But it was the face of our Lord Jesus Christ that bore the greatest share of shame at Calvary. We read how they repeatedly buffet his face. Then they spat upon his lovely countenance. And then they crowned him with that cruel crown of thorns in mockery. And the scriptures tell us in the prophecy of Isaiah, his visage was marred more than any other man. And yet, see here, his face shining as the sun, his garments glistering white as the light, when in the words of Peter he received from God the Father, honor and glory. May I just pause for a moment and say to you, how different the thoughts of men towards Christ and the thoughts of God towards him. God is exceedingly jealous for the honor and the glory of a son. And yet we live in a day and in a society when his precious name on every hand in every place is so often mingled with the filthy language of the wicked. And all around us, so many never give a thought to the words of blasphemy that fall so easily from their lips. Day, the awful day of God's judgment when an account must be given. And we learn here God is exceedingly jealous for the honor and the glory of his Son. It is interesting and destructive to notice how on this holy mount there was an honoring of Christ in his blessed person, in his perfect life, in all of his offices, for example, when we see this holy mount of glory, we are immediately reminded of the majesty of his kingly office. And then again, there is tremendous emphasis put upon his prophetic office here. You'll notice, for example, in verse 35, the voice that came out of the cloud saying, this is my beloved son, hear him. And may I say, study it in its context. In the light of the utterance of Peter, the entering into that cloud, all of those things solemnly underline that message of God from heaven. There's an honoring of his prophetic office. And then, of course, in my text in the verse 31, there's the honoring of his priestly office, for they speak of his decease, which he should accomplish at Jerusalem. In this passage, in this most awful and glorious scene, there is, as it were, the lifting up of the corner of the veil, which hangs over the world to come. There is the casting of the most blessed light upon some of the most comforting and consoling truths of Holy Scripture. 
as I said, is a tremendous passage of the Word of God worthy of study. Now, if you like to read, get Thomas Manton on this. For the Puritan did a great exposition of the Mount of Transfiguration. But I'm just going to dwell on those most comforting and consoling truths of Scripture as we turn just for a moment or two with some simple thoughts, especially in the light of the first 31 my text. And first of all, quite simply, here we see the condition of departed saints. What it is now indeed, and indeed what it shall be. Let me just read again the first 30. Behold, they talked with him two men, which were Moses and Elias, who appeared in glory. Moses, the publisher of the law. Elijah, the chief of the prophets. Both of them, of course, were marvelous in their lives and mysterious in their end. And here they are. They're seen with him. There they are standing and speaking with Christ. Although so many centuries later, it's the same Moses, it's the same Elijah. They're alive. And not only alive, they're in glory. And there's another little wonderful thought about that. They're not only in glory, but they are at home in glory. And you say, why do you make a point of that? Contrast the disciples. We haven't the time to look up those things, but they are overwhelmed by the dazzling sight of glory. Indeed, as indicated in the words of Peter, they're somewhat confused what to say. But then as we look at the other Gospels, we are sore afraid. And in one of the Gospels we read, they fell on their face. So you might very well say about them, they are anything but at home in glory. But Moses and Elijah are at home in glory. How is that? Well, first of all, they had been made partakers of the divine nature in time. They had been born again of the Spirit of God and thereby fitted for glory. And then they were perfected in holiness. And so there they are. They're just evidently at home in glory. But what a solemn reminder that all is not over when the last breath is drawn. That there is indeed another well beyond the grave. There is eternity, the eternal state. Can I ask you, have you given any thought to that in this past week? Surely it has been very much to the fore with the passing of our beloved Queen. The shock of that, even with her great years, 
coming to terms with it. And let me ask you, have you given any thought to the day of your death? Any consideration this week about your eternal welfare? If our brother who read the presbytery statement and then came to do the announcements had to mention from this pulpit the sad tidings that you suddenly had departed this life this past week and your seat was empty, would he be able to go on and say, well, this was an awful sudden death, but they're present with the Lord. They were saved by the grace of God. It's well with them. Now tell me, have you given any thought to the day of your death? But there's also a sublime reminder here that God's redeemed children have now entered into an unending life of glory beyond the grave. All the people of God are safe with Christ and in a state of blessedness absent from the body, present with the Lord, with Christ, which is far better. And what a foretaste of that glory yet to be revealed. You remember what I said? The condition of departed saints as it is now. And undoubtedly there are those here and they can just... Have that thought of the loved one that's gone from you. And they're in glory right now. But this passage also sheds such light upon the glory that is yet to be revealed. And I suggest to you that that precious passage of 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and the first 13 to 17, beloved of every Christian, And I say to you, if it's not beloved by you, you mustn't be a Christian. That precious passage in 1 Thessalonians 4, and I haven't the time to turn it up, it's well known. You see it here. Reunion in glory, here it is. Isn't it striking again? There's Moses. Buried by the very hand of God. And what a figure he is of the dead in Christ that shall rise first. Elijah, taken up into heaven in that wondrous way. Is he not a good figure of those who remain and shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air? Those who shall not taste of death. Is there not the thought here of that blessed reunion? Is there not the thought here of recognition and glory? You'll notice in verse 33, Peter recognizes and names them. He had never known them. He had never seen any likeness of them. Long centuries had passed. My, is there not the blessed thought there? We shall know one another in glory. I don't understand that, by the way. But what I am convinced about, the Father's house is not full of strangers. 
C.H. Spurgeon said, The mutual recognition of the saints hardly needs a better support than this passage supplies. And not only is there the recognition of the saints, but oh, there is the revelation of the glory of the Savior. Where especially in his face. And what does the book of Revelation say about glorified saints? They shall see his face. The glorified face of the Savior is always to be seen by us. There's not only that thought, of course, of reunion and glory, but the reward of glory. We read in the Scriptures, we're to be glorified together with him. Isn't that exactly what you see here? Behold, there taught with him two men, which were Moses and Elias, who appeared in glory with him. With him. You remember when the Lord Jesus told the parable recorded in Matthew 13? The amazing thing is he spoke about the face of the righteous. And what did he say? That in glory, the faces of the redeemed would shine as the sun. That's what we see here in the Savior's face. His face did shine as the sun. We are going to appear with him in glory. And we're going to be partakers of that glory. What an amazing mercy and grace that we poor ruined sinners only deserving of God's judgment and wrath should be glorified together with the Son of God. But there's a little detail I draw your attention to in verse 31 and verse 32, who appeared in glory. And we read that at the end of verse 32, Peter says, they saw their glory. doesn't say that. It says, they saw his glory. And I think that just strikes the simple note that we love to sing about. There's the preeminence of Christ. The Lamb is all the glory in Emmanuel's Lamb. They saw his glory. That's the condition of departed saints. In my text, we have the conversation of departed saints. Strikingly, it's only Luke that records this for us, but how deeply significant it is. Verse 31 says, They appeared in glory and spake of his decease, which he should accomplish at Jerusalem. And again, that does teach us generally a great truth. That for the saints of God beyond the grave, there is not only an unending life of glory, but there's a useful life of service. And while I'm not touching on it here, they are most evidently ministering to the Savior. But what does the book of Revelation say about heaven? His servants shall serve him. Again, I can't understand all of that. I cannot open that in all of the details. But how often the world pokes fun 
at the Christian's heaven floating around in clouds, unending ease, all that sort of thing. But their service, his servants shall serve him. Now, of course, there was a gracious purpose in this for the spiritual good of those disciples. I'm not dealing with that other aspect of it. My time's already gone. But the Lord Jesus was now entering into the closing days of his life and ministry. The shadows were thickening around him. And he would come down from that mount, if you glance at verse 51 of Luke 9, he would set his face steadfastly to go to Jerusalem. The Savior, for the very first time, had distinctly announced to his disciples his approaching sufferings and death. You see, that's the significance of where we began the reading. It came to pass about in eight days after these sayings. What sayings? Verse 22. He told them now distinctly about the cross. Now you remember that Peter vehemently protested against the notion of the cross. The scriptures say he took him. You have to really think, therefore, he laid hands on him like that, perhaps. And he said, Master, this be far from thee. He was urging the Lord Jesus not even to speak about it. But now, here come Moses and Elijah all the way from heaven to talk about nothing else. For they speak of his decease, which he should accomplish at Jerusalem. Wasn't Peter being taught a lesson? You remember James and John. We know from the Gospels they were very much occupied with who should be the greatest. Now they are learning what it is that heaven glories in, the cross on which the Prince of Glory died. Wasn't it a mercy that James was there? He would be the first of the apostles to lay down his life for Christ. And now sent before him wondrously is the glory that he would soon enter into. The language that is used in verse 31 is only fitting and properly applied to the death of our Lord Jesus. You'll notice the word accomplish. It's a Greek word to make full, to fill out. Indeed, over 50 times in your New Testament, it is translated by the word fulfill. That underlines the fatal necessity of that death. It was a death indeed that he must accomplish if he would do the Father's will. If he would fulfill the stipulations of the eternal covenant of redemption and secure the salvation of his own dear people. You see, only by that death could the lost be found. Could the guilty be pardoned? Could perishing sinners be saved? 
was a death that he must accomplish. And then you'll notice that word, decease. If you just look on the back of a Young's or Strong's concordance, you'll see immediately it's the word exodus. Doesn't that speak volumes of the vicarious nature of that death? That he died a substitutionary death, even as the lamb down there in Egypt. And that blood must be shed, and that blood must be sprinkled. That was the grand subject on the Mount of Glory. That was the theme of the conversation. What a contrast. I drew it earlier just briefly, but what a contrast. You see, the mount here is one of glory. That of Calvary was one of grief. Here, the Savior stands between those two Old Testament worthies of faith. But at Calvary, he would be crucified between two thieves. Here his clothing could not hide his glory. At Calvary, clothing did not hide his shame. Here is the outshine of that divine light. At Calvary, there would be the outpouring of that divine life. Here his brightness outshone the sun, but at Calvary the darkness would hide the sun. Here there's the Father's voice of approval from heaven. But at Calvary is heard the Son of God's cry of abandonment from earth. How angels must have gazed in amazement to see him who was so transfigured in glory on that holy mount, to see him so disfigured in grief and sorrow and suffering at Calvary. And the angels have a great interest in these things. Peter tells us it's as if they look over the battlements of heaven down intently, seeking to see and understand and learn from these things. Do you know it will be our theme in heaven? It will be something that eternally we will look into in the glory, the cross on which the Prince of Glory died. We often sing, help me to understand it. Help me to take it in what it meant for thee, the Holy One, to bear away my sin. And oh, men and women, I tell you, you may read the greatest books ever written on the cross, but there are depths not yet plumbed. There are heights we have not yet scaled. And they came all the way from heaven, and they spake of his decease on that holy mount. Briefly in closing, why was that? There's many, many answers to that. As I've indicated, there's a ministry here to the Son of God. 
But I give this answer. Because it was all their interest, because it was all their confidence, Moses and Elijah are both perfectly and fully aware that they are in glory because they had a saving interest in that day. And again, how fitting it is. Moses, the heroic lawgiver, Elijah, the prophet of fire, don't they rightly speak to us as the representatives of the Old Testament economy? How often you read concerning the law and the prophets. And all speak of Christ. You remember those two disciples on the road to Emmaus when the Lord Jesus drew near, when they'd been so cast down, full of sorrow. What does it say in Luke 24, beginning at Moses? And all the prophets, he expounded unto them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Someone asked Pastor Willie Mullen many, many years ago, what would he like to have listened to as far as the sermons and the preaching and the teaching that's found mentioned in the Bible? And without hesitation, he said, I would like to have been present with those disciples on the road to Emmaus, when beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded unto them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. I tell you, men and women from Abel down, all of the Old Testament saints had an eye of faith to a coming land to a Savior who would shed his atoning blood, who would make a way back to God from the dark paths of sin. And in heaven, what did John see in the midst of the throne of Lamb as it had been slain? What is the testimony of heaven that has redeemed us to God by thy blood? Worthy is the Lamb. There's heaven's praise and thanksgiving. Oh, you be sure that the atoning death of Christ and the redeeming blood of the Savior is the ground of all of your confidence and hope for heaven. It might be not as common uh, uh, as it was when I knocked doors in Northern Ireland all those many years ago, but I can say, knocking doors for gospel missions, I never met anyone who said, well, I want to go to hell. met them in Australia who would say it without hesitation they'd join their mates and have a beer have a party some of them even put it on death notices but I never met anyone who if they were asked the question what do you think will happen to you when you die well I hope I'll go to heaven that had been the inferable response Would you say that? If I spoke to you this morning, would that be your response? 
What's the ground of your hope? What's the basis of that confidence? You make sure it's nothing short of the atoning death and sufferings and bloodshedding of our Redeemer. Spurgeon simply said, Jesus died for me are the four words I have lived by and they are the words I am going to die by. We sang that hymn earlier, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. Could you sing that as a testimony? Is it your testimony? That's the testimony you need if you're ever going to enter into the glory of the Savior's presence in heaven above. I trust the Lord will bless these thoughts to each and every heart. What a prospect the saints of God have. The coming glory. It's one of the reasons why I've chosen the hymn 612 to conclude this service. It is a very short hymn, but I know in this province and among our churches, it's very well loved. It gives expression to the hope of glory. What a day that will be when my Jesus I shall see and look upon his face, the one who saved me by his grace reminds us of some of the things that will not be in heaven as well. There will be no more sickness, no pain, no more parting, no more sorrow, no more burdens to bear. I want you as a Christian to really sing this out strongly, earnestly, fervently. So that if there's someone near you who's not a Christian, there'll be a testimony. This is my hope. This is my hope. That they might want that hope today and come to Christ. We'll be standing for the hymn 612, please.
but a day. Oh, is that your hope? Is Christ in you the hope of glory? Is heaven your home? You're a child of God. You're in the family. You're among the redeemed to sing eternally around the throne of the Lamb. Redeemed, how I love to proclaim it. Oh, if you're not a Christian today, the Lord has spoken to your heart, please don't leave. If you need help, speak to me at the door, wait behind. If there's an elder here, another minister that you feel freer to approach, don't go home without Christ. Be our joy to open this book and to point you to the Lamb of God. The night I was saved, I needed all the help I could get. Didn't know a first quote from the Bible. Dark as night. love to be of help to you today, that you would go home rejoicing in the salvation of God. Gracious Father, we pray for the continued ministry of thy Holy Spirit. Warm the hearts of the saints. May we lift up our eyes for a redemption draweth nigh, and what a day that will be. But oh, we long that those out of Christ, young or old, might be drawn to the Savior just now, that even that heart, only seen by thee, might be lifted up, that silent cry might be heard in the ear of God. Save me. Wash me in the blood. Forgive all my sins. Come into this heart and life of mine. Bring the wandering ones to Jesus. Part us now in thy fear and favor, granting journeying mercies home in safety. We pray in the Savior's name. Amen.